During our time as we pray today, if you want to come to the altar, you certainly may. If you want to pray with somebody, you can feel free to get up and go join them and show them love and support. Or if there's somebody you want to bring up here to the front and pray with them, feel free to do that now. And uh, we'll think about some things as we get ready to pray. Uh, I can't help but think, because of my upbringing and things, uh, of what the cost has been for us to have the freedom to do what we're doing this morning. And a lot of times I see on Facebook and other things, people go, thank you veterans for your service. Hey, we're thankful for that all the time. But Memorial Day is not for the living, it's for the dead, specifically those who died and paid the ultimate sacrifice for our freedom while they were serving our country in the military. And we remember that. And we need to pray for our nation that they did not die in vain. And we need renewal. Our country is in trouble. And I think uh, nearly everybody, even uh, atheists and liberals and others like that, say America is not on the right track. Well, we as Christians certainly know that, don't we? And so I invite you to come and join me here to pray for our nation today. Then when we think about the shootings at the school in Uvalde, uh, there have been several shootings lately, but there's just something that seems worse when it's basically an 18-year-old kid killing 7- and 8-year-olds. And we think about the hurt that community is facing, that those families are facing, and our hearts break, don't they? And then we see people that try to take all this and make it a political thing, and it's so much more than political. It's a spiritual problem that we have in our nation and in our families and in our children even. And uh, again, come join me and let's pray about those things. And then this past week, there uh, has been rumors about this and talk about it for several years now. But our denomination, the Southern Baptist Convention, the executive committee that oversees the business of the convention when it's not in session, has... Uh, publicly admitted that they covered up uh, sexual abuse allegations for about 20 years now. And then just recently, the other day, they put out a list with hundreds of names of pastors and Sunday school teachers and workers and volunteers uh, that have been accused of abuse, several of them from Oklahoma, several of them that I know and have looked up to in the past, and it uh, reminds me we need to pray for our convention. This is not good. And it's one of those things where I was telling Sammy, how do we as a cooperating fellowship of over 40,000 churches with 17 million members, how do we ever speak out with credibility on moral issues? I mean, we've been neutralized. Doesn't mean we're not going to do it. We're going to speak out. But you can understand somebody pointing their finger and saying, oh yeah, you know, physician heal thyself. And you know the sad thing is, they would be right. They would be right. And this hurts churches, not just of the Southern Baptist Convention, but all denominations. And you can see the enemy's attack to try to discredit the gospel. So we need to pray about that. And you've got personal needs and you've got issues in your own life, and your own family, I invite you to pray. And so let's go to the Lord in prayer. And uh, 
I'll give you a moment. If you want to come and join me here at the front, come do that. If you want to get with somebody else, go ahead and do that now, and we'll prepare our hearts to pray. Okay. Heavenly Father, we come to you individually because we all have our own sins. We all have our own scars. We all have our own issues. We all have our own failures. And the Bible tells us that if we say we have no sin, we're liars and the truth is not in us. But if we would confess our sins, you're faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And we come individually to ask you to forgive us. But Lord, we also come asking you to forgive our nation. As we think about the millions of babies that have been murdered in their mother's wombs, we have blood on our hands as a nation. As we think about our greed, as we think about materialism, as we think about all of the false religions that have originated in America, and those that are embraced by Americans, we ask you to forgive us for breaking your commandment to serve you and to serve you only. We ask you, Father, to forgive us for sexual perversions. We ask you, Lord, to forgive us for all of the things that we do selfishly, the things that we rationalize, the things that we explain away. You said in your word, to him who knows to do good and does it not, to him it is sin. And we're all guilty of that and our nation is guilty of that. We've had more preaching, more evangelism. We've had more exposure to the word of God than any nation in history. And yet we find ourselves abandoning that. And we ask you to forgive us and we ask you to please renew us for your glory. And Father, we think about our churches and our Southern Baptist Convention. Lord, we are hurting, and we're hurting because of our own sin or the sins of others. And so for those who have suffered abuse at the hands of pastors, staff members, deacons and elders and Sunday school teachers and youth workers, whatever they may be, oh, Father, bless those dear people. Heal them, comfort them, and strengthen them. And Father, we pray for those who were guilty of either the abuse or the cover-up. I pray you would bring them to repentance. And while the world sees our sin, may they also see our humility. May they also see our dependence upon you. And Father, as we think about the tragedies that our nation has endured even just recently, oh Father, that you might comfort the families of the victims, please. Might you glorify yourself somehow through this awful, horrible situation by drawing people to you. And Lord, for a nation that has a sickness in its soul where these things would happen, we pray you would heal people. Heal people with mental issues. Heal people with spiritual issues. Help us, Lord. Please help us. And for all of the people that lead us, 
that are running down roads that aren't going to do any good or cause more harm than good or take away more of our freedom or cause the government to reach further into our lives. Stop them. Give them wisdom and bring us back to the real issue. People are sick in their hearts because they're dead in trespasses and sins. And wake us up and rouse us to understand that as Christians we need to pray, we need to live right, and we need to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. May the name of Jesus be praised from north, south, to east, and west for the glory of God all around the world. And we pray, Father, claiming your promise that the gates of hell shall not prevail against the church that you build. So, Lord, we kneel, we bow, we humble ourselves, and we submit. And we do it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much. I would invite you to turn to the book of Proverbs this morning. And uh, we're going to start uh, in the fifth chapter and we'll go to the sixth chapter in just a little bit. And uh, my family and I were in Tennessee several years ago. In fact, uh, I was invited to preach at uh, the church Greg Kirk was at during that time. And we enjoyed seeing Greg and Sandra and their kids and preaching in the church. Had a guy I remember that came up and said, I like your tie. And I said, you do? And he goes, I really do. And I said, here, you can have it. So I left a part of myself in Tennessee. And uh, we had a good time. But after we got home, got a letter in the mail, and it was from Tennessee. What in the world could this be? And we opened it up, and it was a letter that had pictures in it. It had pictures of my license tag, of my vehicle, and it had a picture of me behind the wheel. And I had gone through a red light there and didn't even know it. Sammy didn't even notice it. We had no idea. It must have been one of those things where you know what a yellow light means, don't you? It means hit the gas. <laughs> and uh, that's probably what I did and uh, got caught. Now, I want to ask you a question. Since uh, I ran that red light, nobody got hurt. No big deal, right? And so I just want to say to you, run every red light you can. I'm living proof that you can run red lights and not get hurt. Is that good advice? No. Because we know that the odds are that's not going to happen every time you run a red light. I had a great aunt that uh, she smoked from the time she was a teenager until she was a senior adult. And then she quit smoking at the tender age of 92. Yeah. She lived a couple more years after that. I doubt quitting smoking extended her life. And so I could say to you, hey, smoking doesn't hurt you. Go ahead. Have at it. My great aunt didn't hurt her. Would that be good advice? And the answer would be no. Because we always can find exceptions. And one of the problems we have in our culture now, in the church and in society, is we live more by the exception than we do by the rule. We're always looking for a loophole, always looking for somebody that that didn't happen to. And so, you know, your mama warned you about something. Oh, that won't happen because so-and-so, it hadn't happened to them. You did when you were a kid, and we do it now. 
And when you turn to the book of Proverbs, one of the things people have done, skeptics have done, is they said, oh yeah, well it says this in Proverbs, and I can point out three times where that wasn't the case. And it's because they don't understand the genre, the writing of the Proverbs. Solomon is writing these things because these are general principles for wisdom. If you do these things, you're going to live a wise life. If you don't, you'll suffer the consequences. And those consequences, according to the will and the plan and even the mercy of God, may be severe. They may not be severe. You may see them now in this life. You may not see them until later on, but they will come. And these are general truths that we are to live by. And one of the things where America and where people in the church are running the red lights is in the area of sexual sin. God says don't, and we say, well, you know, we try it. It didn't hurt. Nobody got killed. Lightning didn't strike. So I guess I can just do this all the time. And so we have watched over the years as things that used to be done a hundred years ago in secret, and they were shameful, then they became things, why can't we do this? And it became open. And then now it's progressed even into more and more and more perversion, let's call it, to be politically incorrect even further. And so I want to take some time to warn you not to run the red lights. And it seems as you go through the book of Proverbs that Solomon was writing for his son to get his son ready to uh, be king, to have a, the right kind of life and to have some wisdom in his life, he writes this decidedly from a male perspective. Now, ladies, don't think that that leaves you out or it's just being misogynistic or anything like that. It was a father writing to his son. The principles are true for all of us, but it is, of course, going to be from a decidedly male perspective. And one of the things that... Um, Solomon is really concerned about is this idea of adultery or sex outside of marriage, which is no big deal now. I'm told that it's very common for people of all ages, not just teenagers or uh, college students of all ages, that they go out on a date and they get involved sexually on the first date to see if they want the relationship to continue. And we are body, soul, and spirit, and God has designed that first of all, to build a relationship, a dating or courtship relationship, whatever you want to call it, we need to be united spiritually. We're not to be unequally yoked. And then as time goes by and we sense the will of God, we're united in our souls, our mind, will, and emotion, the same goals, the same beliefs, the same direction, that type of thing. And then after marriage, to be united bodily. And we've got that all backwards and are turning it around. And there's a lot, an infinite number of hurt, of problems, uh, hurts children most of all, and people that bear scars, some of you do. And uh, it's a horrible thing. Oh, if only we would do it God's way. I was reading um, about, uh, let me get to the right thing here. Uh, by, I forgot the guy's name, uh, John Bloom is his name. And uh, he was commenting on the verse, Ephesians chapter 5, 
verse 3, but fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not even be named among you. That's God's view and plan for the church. Not even to be named among you as is fitting for saints. Neither filthiness, nor foolish talking, nor coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. For this you know, that no fornicator, unclean person, nor covetous man who is an idolater has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. And Mr. Bloom, he works for uh, John Piper's ministry, Desiring God. He said that uh, we live in a, a situation in life where we are seeing the explosion of all of these kind of things and they don't ever seem to stop. They seem to get worse and worse. We don't ever just get satisfied and say that's enough. And uh, there are all kinds of unspeakable things that are going on. In fact, um, I think that we're even going to see a move before too much longer to try to make pedophilia to be legal, at least normal, and uh, instead of seeing it the way that we do. And so uh, as we think about all of this, we wonder what are the causes, what is really happening. And in his article, he makes this conclusion. It's not because of evolution. It's not because you're trying to live out the, uh, uh, the uh, desire to reproduce and the drive to reproduce that your animal ancestors had. He comes down and he says it's because of pride. And uh, I think he's right, which means that the only solution to any of this is humility before God. We want to do things our way. We want to be the king of our own life. And we want to do what we want to do when we want to do. And uh, this has been a problem, not just in our culture, not just in our society, but you read the Old Testament, you find all kinds of things. Maybe they didn't abort their babies, but they did offer them to a god called Moloch, and their babies were burned alive. And I would say, when it comes down to it, what's the difference? And maybe they didn't have uh, sex change operations as we may see people having or drugs to block puberty or anything like that. And yet you find as you read through them that many of the uh, perversions that we face today were a problem back then. As well as good old fashioned adultery or premarital sex or any of those kind of things that might come up. And so Solomon writes about these things and he says a lot about them in the book of Proverbs. So we're going to go to Proverbs and we're going to go to uh, chapter 5 and we're going to talk about some of the things that happen if you run the red lights. What are you running the risk of when you are immoral, when you are engaged in sex outside of marriage? I don't care if you're male or female. I don't care if you're rich or poor. I don't care if you're old or young. These are the risks that you run as you run the red lights. And number one would be this, a loss of respect. Now Solomon makes this appeal because that is particularly something that men want. We want to be respected. In fact, in surveys that were done among men, uh, particularly in America, that they would choose in the 90 percentile range, they chose respect over even love. Men want to be respected. And Solomon tells his son in Proverbs 5, verse 8 and 9, Remove your way far from her, 
and do not go near her door, the door of her house, if you give, listen to this, lest you give your honor to others and your years to the cruel one. And what he is saying here is that there's no way to quickly, to more quickly you lose the respect of people that love you, that have looked up to you, that depend on you, than to cheat on their mother, than to get involved and to be something that you're not. Particularly if they see you as a man or a woman, you go to church, you're involved in various ministries and all of that, you're correcting your children. And then they find out that you're doing the very thing that you told them not to do. What do you think is going to happen in terms of the way they honor you? That's going to change Mother's Day. It's going to change Father's Day. And it has and does for far too many people. Secondly, Solomon points out that generally people that get involved in pornography, who get involved in sexual sin and that type of thing, they have financial stress in their lives. Proverbs chapter 5 verse 10 says, Lest aliens or strangers be filled with your wealth and your labors go to the house of a foreigner. And one of the things that I've noticed over the years that kind of go hand in hand. Again, I know there are exceptions to this, but don't live by the exception. So many times I see people and when I find out that there's an affair going on or something like that, an addiction to pornography or whatever it may be, there's also financial strain that's going on in the house. And they are less productive at work. They uh, are procrastinators. They have time for the excitement and the thrill of an affair that takes up time they could be cultivating relationships with their children takes up time, they could be doing something productive at work, all kinds of practical reasons that may come up for it, uh, may come up, but also just the spiritual aspect. They're not at their best because they're not under the blessing of God. Solomon says, you're going to see your wealth disappear if you get involved in that. Haven't you seen that? And so it's uh, amazing. Number three, he talks about the risk of disease. You know, every time we turn around in America now, we're, we're hearing about more sexually transmitted diseases, STDs, right? Even this thing with uh, monkeypox. Have you heard of that? And it's coming along and people are talking about it. And it uh, is something that is transmitted sexually. I heard a man say about 40 years ago when AIDS was coming along, and he said, if we don't repent and change our behaviors, we're going to find a way to either cure or to treat AIDS. And he said, and when that happens, watch out. Because something worse is going to come along until we change our ways. Well, he may be right. We'll see. But Solomon even talked about this way back, way back then. And uh, he says in Proverbs 5.11... And you mourn at last when your flesh and your body are consumed. He may have been talking about old-fashioned uh, venereal disease. We don't know exactly. But there was a price to be paid with all of that. A little boy asked his grandfather one time, Grandpa, what did you wear for a safe sex? And he said, a wedding ring. Well, that's... 
what we need to get back to because all of this stuff with the promiscuity and, and multiple partners and all of this is uh, causing all kinds of trouble for our culture and putting people through things that they unnecessarily have to go through. Number four, how about loss of credibility? Who's going to believe you? If you can't keep your marriage vows, then where can you be trusted? And we've all seen that. We probably experienced it in our own families. Proverbs 5.14 I was on the verge of total ruin in the midst of the assembly and the congregation. In other words, public disgrace and all of that. And uh, what, what does he mean there? Who's going to trust you? Who's going to trust you? And this was uh, kind of the point that a lot of us were making back in the Clinton days. And we were saying if Bill Clinton can't be trusted to keep his promises to Hillary, why would we think he would keep his promises of his campaign to the American people? And we were told, shut up, that's his personal life. And later on, when he was caught with the Monica Lewinsky thing and he lied under oath and people excused that, which that used to be a serious thing, then they began to excuse it and say, well, of course he lied. Everybody lies about sex. So how many commandments are we going to break after all? Well, we've seen it now to where that uh, it has spread and it seemed like whatever he was doing kind of became like a running infection through our culture. And now people just expect that we're not going to tell the truth. And they expect that we're going to lie about things. And they expect that everybody's got something going on, you know, behind the scenes. Who do you really trust? And a lot of people say that even about preachers and pastors today. And unfortunately, many times they are right. And what happens? We lose our credibility. This thing that's going on with the Southern Baptist Convention concerns me because how do we ever speak up with any moral force, moral authority, when we've got problems in our own house and on our own camp? And that's true on an individual level as well as it is a denominational level. You see, uh, a father who has committed adultery on his wife and his children know it, how does he dare tell his daughter how to act on a date? How does he dare tell a young man how he ought to treat his daughter on a date? After all, you did it. Why can't we? And why shouldn't we? And Solomon had been raised in all of that because his father committed adultery with Bathsheba. And uh, because of that, David's life and his reign was forgiven, but it was never the same after that. David had a situation where he had a son that got involved in an incestuous relationship with his half-sister. Now, what's David going to say about all of that? I mean, about the best he could do is goes, well, at least I didn't do it with a relative. But he didn't really have any moral authority. It changed his rule. It changed his household. It changed his family until the end of his life. So if you can't keep your promise that you made to your husband or wife before God in a church, then what are you going to keep? A loss of credibility. Pretty severe. Number five, you're trapped by fear of disclosure. 
Boy, that'll change you. When you're scared, you're going to be discovered. When you're scared, somebody's going to talk. When you're afraid, somebody's going to see you. When you're afraid that it's going to come out and you're going to be humiliated. Well, Proverbs 5, 22 and 23 says, His own iniquities entrap the wicked man, and he is caught in the cords of his sin. Verse 23. And he shall die for lack of of instruction and in the greatness of his folly he shall go astray you know we all have these stories of people that we thought were good morally good we thought we could depend on them we thought they were wise we got instruction from them then you found out what was really going on in their life has this happened with any politicians that you know? Obvious one I just mentioned, but there have been plenty of others. People that stood up for family values. Then you find out that they're cheating on their wives. You find out that they're a closeted homosexual. You find out all kinds of things about them. What do you think about them? Is that the way you want your children and your grandchildren your friends and your neighbors and other people thinking about you. That is one of the risks that you run because you can't be trusted anymore. Number six, reduced to insignificance. This is a verse I didn't fully understand. I got the gist of it for a long time, but uh, I found out something. In Proverbs six twenty six, it says, For by means of a harlot... A man is reduced to a crust of bread, and an adulteress will prey upon his precious life. Reduced to a crust of bread. Well, I don't know exactly what that means, but it must be bad until I figured it out. And doing some reading on all of this, I found out what it, this is actually saying is, here's a man who is powerful, who is influential, who is well thought of, who carries weight, whose opinions matter, and he's an authority on things, then it comes out that he's been unfaithful to his wife, and he becomes like a crust of bread. What do you do with the crust of bread? Well, you don't go to the store and say, uh, to a baker, and say, you got any good crust today? Now, I don't mind crust on my bread. I've never been one that cut the crust off, but I've seen... A lot of people do that. They cut the crust and throw it away. And when it says a man is reduced to a crust of bread, it's not talking about his financial situation. It's talking about the significance of his life. Who trusts him? Who listens to him? In fact, when he speaks, who cares? I don't want to become that person. You don't want to become that person. And especially as you age, you want to be able to carry more and more weight for the sake of your adult children and for the sake of your grandchildren. But sometimes the sins that we commit bring us to where we are insignificant in the lives of people that we really love, people that we care about. How many fathers and mothers and politicians have just kind of faded away and faded into obscurity, and faded into insignificance. How many people are now, they're laughed at 
because of what they used to say and they used to believe and now the way that they're living. I can think of some people that have even come out of our church like that. What must their families and neighbors and their work associates think about them now because they were so bold and so strong and then they violated all of it through sexual sin. Number seven, there's danger and severe consequences. In fact, all you have to do is watch some of these TV shows, 2020, Dateline, some of those kind of things, to find out that for an awful lot of them at the root of even murders and things like that, sexual sin, affairs, things like that that go on, people become irrational when they get involved in those type of things. And Proverbs chapter 6, verse 27 says, Can a man take fire to his bosom, his chest, and his clothes not be burned? Verse 28, can one walk on hot coals and his feet not be uh, seared? So is he who goes into his neighbor's wife. Whoever touches her shall not be innocent. You're going to get scarred. Some of you, please don't, but some of you could say amen to that today. It's been a long time. Your life has kind of regained some normalcy and all that, but there's always the pain and always the scar of things that happened in the past. Better just to avoid it. It's a lie from hell to think that sexual sin is a victimless crime. It hurts you and it hurts so many others. In fact, I'll put it this way. Sexual sin is like a nuclear bomb being dropped on your family. Don't think you can do that and it doesn't hurt relationships or anything like that. Number eight, there's no guarantee of restoration. Now I can guarantee you forgiveness from God, but I cannot guarantee you that your wife will ever take you back. I can't guarantee you that your husband will take you back. I can't guarantee you that your children will ever care about you ever again. Happens more often than you might think. Proverbs 6, 30-33 says, People do not despise a thief if he steals to justify his appetite when he is hungry. But if he is caught, he will pay sevenfold. And he will give all his goods out of his house. He who commits adultery. Notice how those two things are tied together. He who commits adultery lacks sense. In other words, it's stupid. Okay? Lacks sense. And he who does it destroys himself. Now, what was he saying about that? Well, if you see somebody who steals, are we saying that it's right to steal and it's right to be a thief? And the answer would be no. That's not right. But... If a homeless person is stealing out of your pantry because they're hungry, you'll feel sorry for them. In fact, if I know most of you, you would actually feed them. You would try to help them and try to take care of them. Not that you're ever saying, I endorse this, let's do this, everybody do this, it's the right thing to do. No, but you love people and you would want to help them and you don't despise someone who does that because they're hungry now should they be punished solomon says yeah they pay back sevenfold they give up everything they can but there's a way to make restitution now why would he say that with adultery here it is you ready 
Because a thief could make restitution. An adulterer can't. What do, you, what do you give that husband when you cheated with his wife? What do you give another person that is hurting and their family is destroyed and their trust is destroyed and all of that has happened and they are grieving and the relationship, maybe the marriage is over because of this. What, what, what do you give that person to go, I'm really sorry, would you like a Mercedes? Yeah, but still, it doesn't fix anything, does it? And that's what Solomon's point is. We think about these things and we kind of go, well, if God forgives me, then everything will be okay. Well, not everybody acts like God. Not everybody forgives like God does. And we certainly can't forget when something like that happens. You never know you're running a big, big risk whenever you play around with fire because you're going to get burned and there may not be the rest of, uh, restoration that you think or that you expect if anything happens. Number nine, lifelong scars and burdens. There are some people today that, interestingly enough, they're paying child support on multiple occasions for children that they had out of wedlock because of an affair that they had with some woman. And it's child support here, child support here, child support here, child support here, multiples. And they have to be wealthy in order to be able to afford all that. And you know the sad thing about it is, yeah, they may be making their child support. They may be in Hollywood. They may be a professional athlete or something like that. Well, it's okay as long as they're taking care of the kids, huh? That kid will never be the same without the most important thing of all, his daddy in the home with him. You destroy yourself. You carry burdens. You may not regret it now, but mark my words, you will, and you're not going to be able to get out of it as easily as you think you're going to. Lifelong scars and burdens. Proverbs 6.33 says, Wounds and dishonor he will get, and his reproach will not be wiped away. His reproach will not be wiped away. It's always there. You can remember it. And regret is a terrible way to live, and it's an even worse way to die. Number 10. How about jealous vengeance? We've kind of already made reference to that, but we'll... Go on with six, Proverbs 6, 34 and 35. For jealousy is a husband's fury. Therefore, he will not spare in the day of vengeance. He will accept no recompense, nor will he be appeased, though you give him many gifts. Boy, is that not a true statement. There's a lot of hurt, a lot of pain. And as we mentioned before, there's an awful lot of violence that goes on in our land today, in our families and in our neighborhoods. It's almost every time our phone goes off and we get an amber alert or we hear about it on the news. And I'll say to Sammy, I wonder what the real story is. Do you know how many times it's a custody battle? You know how many times it's because 
things were not done the right way and things were not done God's ways. I just want to say to you, this God that you sang about earlier when you said, blessed be your name, he's not just a God who you call on when you get sick and he zaps you and makes you well. He's not just a God you call on when you can't pay your electric bill and zap money appears in your checking account. No, he's holy and he's loving and he's kind and he's merciful and he is W-I-S-E, right? And this God who is wise and all-knowing, he has set these boundaries Set these red lights, as we've called them, because he knows what works, because he's the one who designed it. And just like Adam and Eve, when they thought they could run the red light and eat from the tree, didn't seem like a big deal. After all, nobody's getting hurt, and it's not like we're doing something gross or perverted. We're just eating fruit. But they ran the red light, and look what it did. Within one generation, they had one son that murdered another. And look at the world we live in today because of their sin. And what is at the root of all of it? It's called pride. We may look around and we may say, well, I see some sexual sin that's called an abomination and I would never do that. Well, did you know that in the book of Proverbs, pride is called an abomination? And yeah, you've done that. And that's at the root of all of this, especially sexual sin. I can do what I want to do, when I want to do it, the way I want to do it. I am my own king. I am my sovereign. And even worse, you may not say this, but this is the truth. You are saying, I am my God. I make the laws. I make the rules. And because of that, lives, lives families... Our children and our society are rotting from the inside out and hurting so badly because of our stinking, ungodly pride. So I close by asking the question, as bad as all this is, and it is bad, is there any hope? Well, here's the good news. Yes, there is grace and forgiveness. When we think about David and his sin... In 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 13, David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said to David, The Lord also has put away your sin, and you shall not die. Praise God for a God that forgives. And if you're involved in any kind of adultery, any kind of an affair, if you're involved in any kind of sexual sin... Repent today because you've got a God who is a kind, merciful, loving God who will forgive those who repent. In Psalm 32, verse 5, David writing about this says, I acknowledge my sin to you and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Praise God that we have a father who forgives our sins based on Jesus Christ's sacrifice for our sins. That's where our faith and that's where our hope is. Secondly, there's hope because God gives strength, 
peace and purpose in spite of the consequences. Now, God did not say when he forgave you, okay, there'll be no consequences. It'll be just like it was before. No, it wasn't for David. His house, his family, his relationship with his children, never the same again. But he was forgiven. But God gave him strength to endure to the end. And he'll do the same for you. Your your circumstances may not change, but God will give you the grace, the power, and the peace to make it through. In Psalm 51, verses 12 through 14, Restore to me the joy of your salvation, and uphold me with a willing spirit. Look what he says is going to happen. Then I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners will return to you. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, or capital punishment, O God, O God of my salvation, and my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. Well, he certainly couldn't sing of his own, but he could sing of God's. And what was this telling us? David had a future. Now, things may have changed, and there may be scars, and there may be burdens, and there may be relationships that were messed up, but David had a future. And if you will repent, I can tell you, you may have to go through some rough times, But here's the good news. God will be with you and God will strengthen you and God will get you through it. And even in this, David became useful again to the kingdom of God. You may have been lied to by the enemy saying, well, God could never use you because of what you have done and the scars you bear. And I reject that and you should too in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Our God restores. Now things may be changed, But God can still use you. And David was going to be used to teach sinners to repent from the Lord. And God may take you and the scars of your life and use you in a certain way to reach out to other people that are trapped by that same sin and to show them a way out. There's nothing better than a former alcoholic leading another alcoholic out of it. There's nothing more powerful than somebody who has been through something leading someone else who's involved in and out of it. You're a testimony. You're the testimony of hope. God will give you that. And then you can also have a right standing with God in spite of all of your sin, a right standing with God. I've been reading through the book of 1 Kings. And in 1 Kings 15 verse 5, It says, because David did what was right in the eyes of the Lord and did not turn aside from anything that he commanded him all the days of his life, except for the matter of Uriah the Hittite. Isn't that interesting? It wasn't like God just goes, oh, none of that existed. God knew David's scars. God knew David's flaws. Better than David did. That's why David said, Search me, O God, and know my heart. See if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Because David didn't trust his own ability to know his heart. Your heart's deceitful, Jeremiah said. It'll trick you. But isn't it interesting, David, this man who fell so far, became the standard by which every subsequent king was judged. You know why? Because God can take, as you've heard it said before, a crooked stick and hit a straight lick with it. God can take somebody who has blown it 
And he can take them over time and make them to be a standard because they have made things right with him. And so I would say today that at the root of your sin, any of it, but especially sexual sin, is pride. You think you have a right. You think you can do it and it won't hurt anybody else. And even if it does, as long as I am selfish, uh, I am satisfied, hear the selfishness, hear the pride, doesn't really matter what it does to society, doesn't matter what it does to the church, doesn't matter what it does to my family, doesn't matter what it does to my children, as long as I am happy. What a horrible thing for someone who claims to know Christ to ever say. We are to lay down our lives for Christ, and we're to lay down our lives for one another. And you can't do it and be involved in these kind of sins. You need to repent. You may need to be saved. And if you come to Christ today and trust in his death, his resurrection, that he paid and bore the wrath of God for that awful sin that you're so ashamed of and so embarrassed by, the Bible says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's grace. And if you are a believer, you say, what do I do? You start with 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins... He is faithful and just to cleanse us. Isn't that great to know? But that's where it has to start. You humble yourself before the Lord like David did in Psalm 51. And if this is the kind of thing that we could warn you about and keep you from getting involved in it, hallelujah, mission accomplished. If this is the kind of thing that stops you dead in your tracks and keeps you from going further into it, if you're already into it, then hallelujah, praise God, mission accomplished. And if this is the kind of thing that takes you and says to you, yeah, you've blown it, yeah, sin has taken you further than you ever wanted to go, kept you longer than you wanted to stay, and has cost you more than you ever intended to pay, two words, but God. And that changes everything. If that's you and you get right with God today, warts and all, scars and all, then hallelujah, mission accomplished. Because our God is a kind, gracious, merciful, and forgiving God far more than we ever know. And there is hope for sinners like us through the Lord Jesus Christ. And all God's people said, Father, forgive us, cleanse us, warn us, instruct us, rescue us, save us. For it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Thank you.